Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the managing director of B Squared. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the Sendcast. The main focus of the podcast is to increase the knowledge of teachers and schools, but the podcast supports all professionals working with children or young people with SEND and it benefits parents and carers of all children. This week, my guest is Jyoti Manuel, the founder and director of Special Yoga. She has been teaching yoga since 1989 and has been working with children with SEND for over 20 years. And on this week's episode, we're discussing helping children with PMLD to thrive via yoga. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We help you to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. And we can do this across early years, across primary, all the way through to post-16, covering lots of different subjects, including autism, the engagement model, and lots more. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, we can help. We do help a lot of schools do this already. And did you know you can use our assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? If you're a primary school, you can now use a single system to effectively assess all pupils and simplify the whole school data process. Visit the B Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software and how it can help you. Now, let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing using yoga with PMLD pupils and how it can help them to thrive. My guest this week is Jyoti Manuel, the founder and director of Special Yoga. She has been teaching yoga since 1989 and set up Special Yoga around 20 years ago to support pupils with SEND. Jyoti works with local education authorities, the NHS, schools, pediatric professionals, and parents and carers. Welcome to the show, Jyoti. Thank you. It's lovely to be back with you today. Excellent. Welcome back. We've previously discussed how yoga is used in schools and how it can be used to support self-regulation. And we've all discussed how the number of schools and support services using yoga is increasing. So our topic for today is how can yoga help the more complex PMLD pupils? So I think that what we need to do is kind of break down what is yoga, you know, because I think that there's a, you know, a, a, as we have previously discussed, there is a perception that yoga is about being bendy, being able to touch your toes, contorting yourself into pretzel-like shapes. Yep. And obviously, if you have that viewpoint, then your question would be, how on earth can you going to do yoga with children with PMLD? But in the kind of philosophy of yoga, which it is a philosophy, and there's a lot of texts, it comes from, you know, thousands and thousands of years back. The physical practice of yoga is one small piece of yoga. And there are a lot of different aspects of yoga. And the goal of yoga is to actually be able to be the master of your mind. Yeah. You know, because our thoughts create our reality, as you know, there is a certain understanding of that in aspects of the world. Now, when you come then to bringing yoga to or a therapeutic approach to yoga into children with PMLD, you would use sound, you would use touch, you would use gentle movement, absolutely, and you would use breath work and deep relaxation. So 
nothing would ever look like your typical yoga class when you're working with that population. And I used to have, when we had a, you know, a center in London years back, one of the things that happened very frequently is I get calls from parents or carers going, my child can't sit independently, can't move independently, can't this, can't that, can't the other. How on earth are they going to do yoga? And my answer to them was bring them in. Let's see what's possible. And one of the things that I learned very early on was that children with PMLD get physiotherapy in the early days. And this is happening less, but was happening consistently, was physiotherapy was done to the children. And what happened in that process is they would distract the child and do it to the child. So the child learned to disconnect from their bodies. Okay. Right. Yep. So what we do is we do it with the child because what we've all got to learn to do, irrespective of whether we have PMLD or I have a, a physical body that can move, is I learn I need to learn how to be comfortable in my body. Because part of the ability to be comfortable in our existence has to be mean that I have to be comfortable in my body. And I have to be connected to my body. So disconnecting from it means that I'm I become a fragmented being. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So what we're looking to do with the yoga for that population is to reconnect them back so that they start to identify where their arm might be, where their legs might be, where their feet might be, and learn to find more comfort in their physical existence. Now, we know that a lot of them experience physical pain. And then what happens when we feel physical pain is we we stop breathing or we we don't stop breathing completely, but we reduce our breath, we hold our breath, we create a lot of tension in our bodies in order to theoretically protect ourselves from pain. Yeah. But actually, all pain management is about breathing. Because when we breathe calmly and deeply, everything relaxes and then the pain is able to reduce. Okay. When we're in tension, you're going to feel more pain. Yeah. Okay. You see videos of like a drunk person falling over because they don't brace themselves. Yeah, they don't get hurt. They don't get hurt. But if you were uh, knowing it's coming, you're, you stick your arms out, you tense up, that's when it hurts. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're working towards with those children is to feel more comfort in their body, to feel more connected to themselves. And if you feel more connected to yourself, you can then connect to another. Because a lot of those children seem to inhabit their own little world and don't have that ability to necessarily, some will, but a lot of them will find connection, connecting with each other more, more difficult, connecting with the staff member more difficult, you know, because they're kind of lost in their own space. And so when, what we see is when we, do, when we kind of reconnect them back again, and I'll talk a little bit about how we do that, is there's more joy. Yeah. Because actually one of the things that we need as human beings is human connection. By making them more connected, you're kind of bringing them into that room. Although they're physically in the room, they're not headspace in that room. And so by making that connection, helping them almost realize they're in that body and there's things around them, they're then, make, they're then aware of that and they can, are making connections with those around them. Absolutely. And of course, social engagement, social connection, safety, belonging, all of that starts to you know fit into that ability to you know, of existence. And it's important for our emotional well-being to feel connected to another. It's really because we are, we are talking at such complex, low-level pupils and there is still a lot going on and there's a lot that we, 
there's a lot of things going on. It's not just a very simple, they can't do this. There's still very much, there's a subconscious, there's a conscious, there's all this stuff going on and it still ha- will have an impact. But they're still human beings with human experience, you know? Yeah. And their human experience will involve emotions. It will involve a physical sensation. It will involve, you know, that that sense of joy when you meet another and you someone smiles at you and you kind of make that connection back to yourself, you know, that joyful piece of you. They're going to have all of those same experiences that we do. They're equally as much, a, you know, a basket full of unmet needs as we are. Yeah. It's just different. I just think it is explore. You, you, again, think of going back to a, a typically developing child is, the way they develop is you put stimulus in front of them, they reach for it, they go for it, they roll over. And by doing, they're finding their body. Yeah, exactly. They're exploring their body and they're doing all that. And some of these, these PMRD children won't have had those experiences. I remember one family that came to see us. They Their child had been on a do not resuscitate until he was two. And he was very highly medicated I mean, sleeping most of the day because he was so highly medicated as well. And obviously, he had experienced some level of pain. He also had the worst respiratory system I think I've ever seen to this day. After the second yoga, sen- yoga session, which his mum sat in with me with, she said to me, oh, my God, now for the first time, he knows he's got a body. Because what had happened was at the end, after the second session, he kicked his sister out the bath because she was annoying him. He kicked a doctor who was trying to put a cannula in his foot because he knew where his body was. I mean, that was her interpretation of it. And it was extraordinary. But if he's never if he's never done that, then, yeah, he's probably, it's that kind of that locked-in thing of this is happening to me and I've got no choice. But in reality, you've helped him realise that he has some level of control of his body and he can express himself through his body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fascinating. Absolutely. Fascinating. And it was such a it was such a beautiful moment. I mean, I actually cried when she came in and said that. You know, he kicked us. He kicked his sister. That's so beautiful. <laughs> but it is in the context of what we're talking about. That is amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, the thing is, is that we assume that they have no potential for anything either. This is the other thing. You know, yes, and they do. There's so much more potential than we realize. It's just finding different pathways of reconnecting them back again and just exploring where their, I guess, the neuroplasticity at some level, you know, their brain, you know, the capacity of their brain to, uh, you know, have, you know, very small aspects of repair that will allow them to do things that you didn't think they could do. Yeah. All that stimulus that happens, and there's probably a whole world of neurons and timeframes, things like that. If that child's been medicated for two years and has more or less slept for two years type thing, do that many, they've not had, they've not laid on the floor with that toy just out of that reach. They've not laid in a cot, the, the spinning thing above them, they're reaching them and, and exploring it. They're not rolling over, they're not doing all of these things. So they've never had the opportunity to learn about, oh, yeah. I can roll over, oh, I can do this. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, it's not just the children that have, you know, not had their stimulus. It's just how you stimulate them. If there, was in a, there was another session where I was in a school and I'd, we'd done some in-service training and I'd gone in as a consultant to just to see how the classrooms were embedding the practices into the culture. And this was a classroom with very mixed needs. So there were children with autism, there were ambulatory, there were children with PMLG and wheelchairs. So there was, you know, a very different, pop, you know, diverse population. And so some of the kids had voluntary movement, you know, a lot of voluntary movement and others didn't. 
And there was a girl in, in that group who had PMRD. And the teacher, we were doing lateral bends. So we were taking our arm up and we were stretching the side of our body. And you know, obviously, she wasn't able to take her arm up. And instead of the teacher taking her arm up for her, he sat and waited, which is what I'd recommended to do. And she moved a finger. And he was, we both actually looked at that same moment and saw her. And that was her trying to do what the other people in the class were doing because she couldn't lift her arm, but she could move her finger. So that's the first neural pathway, isn't it? Of actually yeah. identifying that this is what's being asked of me. And then what he did was super amazing was he realized that because she could move her finger and she now could move her finger, he could use that as a communication tool for her to say yes and no. Nice. So that's the thing is with software like eye gaze. Yeah. We've realized that this unresponsive person is actually trapped in and through eye gaze, they can communicate and they have a voice, they have opinions, they have things. They've just, the physical condition has prevented them from communicating any of that. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you can have a way of communicating, you suddenly realize this is a person. Of course. Properly is a person who hates tomato soup who hates orange yeah, juice, absolutely. but loves apple juice, loves the feeling of that, hates, and has all these preferences. They've just never been able to communicate it before. Correct. And how empowering is that? Huge. Imagine literally, it's probably a horrible thing as a parent, you're going, I've fed them tomato soup for yeah. their entire life and they hate it. <laughs> but that's the thing, is that communication wasn't there, so now you can change it, and that will probably you get rid of tomato soup for something else is a huge connection. It changes their lives, doesn't it? It, it changes their life. And I think it's recognised that. And it just has an amazing bond that will create. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's such a, it sounds so simple for most people, that sort of thing. But when you're in that world, it is huge. It's enormous. And I think we can never underestimate, you know, how impactful a millimeter of change is for a child like that. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, as you said, for typically developing, you're looking for X amount of change. We've really got to simplify it. And going from no physical control to moving a finger on command, so voluntary and one for yes, two for no type thing, or however he communicated. And then realizing for the first time ever, I can have a conversation with you and you can respond. That is huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the way the yoga works, because for the people providing the yoga, you know, you're invited to really listen. I mean, really listen. So listening means listening to the body listening to the movement, listening to the sound, listening to the energy, and also being a bit, you know, open-minded and creative like that teacher was to say, ah, now I can, now I know she can do that. Let's use that. Let's use that. Yeah. So, so there's that piece of it. And then there's the piece of it where we come to this and we go, I don't really know what's possible. Let's find out. Let's find out, you know, and because we have an assumption that they can't, we don't know what they can. Yes. I suppose yoga just gives, it's giving you, by making time for yoga, you're 
making time to be calm and to be aware. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So within the context of yoga, as I said, we use touch, we use sound, we use rhythm, we use, we use breath, we use deep relaxation. So if we were just to look at rhythm, for example, right? So yeah. we use sounds rhythmically and we get the children to communicate back with us, right? So even if it's the sound of hum or something equivalent that the child can make, you can start a dialogue back and forth. You know, way before language existed, we were in rhythm. You know, rhythm was the first form of communication, yes. right? So if you go back to that place and you were to sing, a, a, you know, a rhythm where a note requires the sound of hum and you stop at that moment, having done it enough times for the child to understand what's going on, the child can then, given some time, respond to you. Yes. And then you start another form of communication. Yeah, because they're realizing they can again respond. It's that ability of timing. Yep. That re- yeah, it's there's a lot going on there. Huge amount. And you might assume they can't do this. It's, yeah, it's, it's that assumption of assuming they can't. But bringing things down to a simple level is you can then actually going. I'm not asking for the world. I'm not asking you to. I'm sort of asking, can you kind of respond? If you can make a sound, are you able to control when you make that sound to join in with what I'm doing? Correct. And then if you were doing that in the environment of a classroom setting and you were getting the children to participate, you're now in a group. You're now working together in a group. And that's the thing is if you, yeah, if you can make that noise and that's what you're doing, but there's no real connection, no one's responding to it, but then somebody is allowing you to be part of something by using that sound, you are making a connection between two people, which they might not have had before. Correct. And social engagement's really important for our well-being, for our mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that sometimes you do something like that and for just the average person, you, you always you're doing it and someone responding to you. Often, when you try, you you put your opinion out. Yeah. Particularly, but if you put your opinion out and someone goes, "Yeah, I agree with you," it's like, "Wow, okay." Yeah. Or you you share something and someone, I'm going to say, likes it on Facebook, or they make contact with you. That is huge. And if we just simplify that down, that I've been listened to. Yep. That was a basic need, isn't it? And somebody took time to read what I'd... And it, if we just simplify that down to being part of a conversation. Yep. Huge. So that's one way that it really works. And we've seen children participate, you know, and oftentimes those are targets for these kids. Yes. You know, so targets can be met like that, you know, in different ways. And then what I've also noticed, another child that we worked with, actually, she, she was a teenager, actually, when she came, first came to us. She was having to be suctioned frequently. And what we noticed was that after two or three weeks of doing yoga with us on a weekly basis, that her body relaxed enough and she felt safe enough in her body that her stress levels had obviously gone down and the suction requirement was significantly less. Wow. We've seen epilepsy reduce. We've seen all sorts of things that are, I mean, I'm not saying they go away, but the stress no. fact, the stress 
and mis, you know being misunderstood and not being able to communicate will create stress in the in the body system and so then the body responds to stress in however it responds so for some children so for you or me it might be shouting at somebody or feeling awful or whatever but for them it might be you know that tension in the body that creates the need to to you know to have to be suctioned more often or to have more epilepsy or the kind of you know what you see in cerebral palsy when you see a lot of spasmodic movement you know yeah these things can be calmed down it's how you are in the moment how you're feeling how regulated yeah, exactly. you are exactly has an impact exactly so you know it, and it's really interesting when you start to work with the, this population is how the the kind of more difficult pieces of their existence if you want to call it that reduce when you reduce the stress yeah and again is probably the way you're reducing the stress is by making them more connected to themselves yeah so they're actually more aware of who their body but change and changing their breathing as well i suppose again changing their breathing but a lot of that might come from that connection with another person again absolutely absolutely so if i'm the adult and i am breathing really calmly and really slowly my breath then becomes a tool of information you know an invitation or a form of communication to invite the child non-verbally to regulate their own breath in order to create an improved breath pattern for themselves let's put it that way yeah and again it's all subconsciously and i've been in times where when you're sitting on the ground and you're back to back with someone and you suddenly realize your breathing's in sync yep yep so you realize hang on i'm breathing exact same time that's the thing so it was not a conscious thing i just i suddenly was aware of it but again that's a communication that is and if you are then aware and often it's it's the wow i'm really relaxed or something you you have a feeling of oh so if that child's experiencing that feeling at whatever level of slightly more calmness slightly more relaxation that's come from being led from someone else that is huge for both them as their body but also that actually I can respond to other people again. So that's what you're doing. By slowing your breathing down, you are responding. It's not things that are happening to you and that you they just happen. It is actually, I can respond to this person. I do have a way of responding to what's happening. And I, yeah, I suppose, again, there's lots of, from a, from a, a more able person with who have all these processes and thoughts, is they probably have all those same thoughts because they are, as you said, they're a human being, but at a much lower level or maybe not as I don't think level. they are at a lower level, you see. I think that they are no. at a heightened level that we don't understand. That's actually my belief. Yeah. But it may not be in the way in which we see the world. Yes. It might be very much heightened within their context of their world. Exactly. So it's a much bigger part of their it's, – it's less than that. But, yeah, it's a much more, more powerful driver Again, without having all the degrees and knowledge, is I often go to simple things like films, like an Inside Out. Mm-hmm. I love that film because it, it starts with just one or two feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and then other feelings come along. Then you become a teenager and it gets really confusing. Yeah. But if they are just further down this journey and they just have a couple of feelings, they're going to be really powerful and really controlling. And as you get more feelings, you sit there going, okay, so I could be angry at this, but I could also be curious. I could also be 
but that takes time to develop. For safety, it's good or bad. Let's start there. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. We start with that. And then at some point, we realize that, okay, so I actually, I actually have some say over, do I want this bad thing to happen? I could kick my brother or my sister. And that, and so that, that is very complicated, but that probably happens for a typical person really early on. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they've just not had those connections made. I love discussing these things. It is absolutely fascinating because you think about things you don't normally think about. Absolutely. And realize there's whole worlds of things you've never thought about that are a whole person's world. Absolutely. And I also think that the the other place where yoga really works is, you know, a lot of them have kind of twisted bodies, you know, sort of misaligned bodies. And of course, if you look at us, if you were to kind of view the body and the being as a flow of energy, the more twisted and contorted you are, the less the energy can flow well. So the more that you can very gently, you know, realign the body, A, you're sending messages to the brain to change the patterning, but B, you're also allowing a flow of a different way that the energy can flow. So I spent a lot of time working in Sri Lanka at one point in time where I was in the northeast of Sri Lanka post-war where there had been no intervention at all for children. And I saw contortions in bodies that I hadn't, I mean, very unusual to see in the West. And the physiotherapists were unable to do anything with these kids because they couldn't get in there. And so I trained up a whole slew of physiotherapists who were, who I taught them how to breathe, how to realign the body. And so basically what we were doing was we were preparing the children so that the physiotherapy would work. So when they are, and this is not, again, every case, when they are, they are like restricted and contorted, is they not to say straightened out is the wrong word, but it is that can be adjusted. Yeah. If they are willing and accepting. Um, and also if you allow them to relax and you meet them with love. So if you hold them in a loving space, right, immediately they're going to feel safe. Yes. Okay. And I think that what happens for a lot of those kids is that there's a lot of fear around them, you know, fear of hurting them, fear of this, fear of that. And so they're receiving that fear. It can, if you just imagine what it would be like to be in a body like that and to have everybody around you terrified that, that you're going to get, they're going to hurt you. You, you. All you're doing is you're surrounded by fear. But if you remove yeah. that fear and you come to them and you just sit with them from a loving place, they are immediately going to feel safer. If I feel safer, I can relax. And that's saying a lot of this, is, is it, again, so many variations, but is it a lot of time it's the muscle keeping them like that rather than the bones, if that makes sense. Generally, it's the muscles, yeah, muscles, tendons, ligaments, but yes. But, you know, when we are uncomfortable in our emotional being, we create tension in our bodies. Everybody does it. But if we then hold, you know, a place of safety and love for that child, and the child has a place where, you know, they can relax a little bit, you know, their muscles, they can come out of that rigid high alert space and into a calmer yes. space then a, a, and a safer space emotionally because I'm not going to hold fear around them, right? Yeah. You know, it's about being careful but not afraid. Yes. So obviously I'm, I've never hurt a child. I've mean, worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of children over many, many, many years. We've never hurt a child. But I'm careful but I'm not afraid. So I don't bring fear with me. Yes. Right? So when I say... You're not yanking their leg and pulling not. it. it is, you are literally 
helping them to relax and when that mu- those muscles are relaxed and then we can they're... see you know how can we realign this body to the best that we can be realigned today and how can we talk to the body and talk you know kind of it's almost like you're talking to the child's higher self as well as talking to the child's body say okay let's work together here let's see what's possible let's see what's going to make you more comfortable is if you have been so tense and you are like that and it's all you know then you might not know that you can move your body in that way. Right. So you're opening up new so, pathways, that, you know, on all sorts of levels. It's fact that the body and the mind are fascinating. They really are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think there is a tendency with that population to, to underestimate the possibility for them because we're scared, Yeah, you know, uh, scared of hurting them. But if we come to them, with you know kind of some body intelligence you know and sensitivity and love without fear all sorts of things become possible uh, we're not talking somebody who is fully tensioned up fully contorted in a certain way will not suddenly six weeks later will walk straight and perfect no 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 no, no, no there no. could be some change absolutely and then it's almost like when you've got that first little bit of change and the, the fear is gone, then you're more open to that physiotherapy. Of course. And your body is more open to that physiotherapy. Of course. And then you can find out what your body can actually do. Correct. It might not do much. We don't know. You don't know. We don't know. We don't you know. just don't know. So my, my modus operandi is I have no idea what, what the outcome of this might be, but at some level, it's going to improve the quality of their life. You're optimistic with knowledge. <laughs> so you're going in there going, not, that thing is, you, you, you've got enough knowledge to go, this should impact, there should be some positive outcome. Could be big, could be small, but you kind of, you don't know. But and I think the thing is, going, I go in with no expectation, just an intention. To help this child, yes. To help this child feel the best that they can feel in this moment. Yeah. And it's just an intention. It's not an expectation. I have never had an expectation. It's interesting because just thinking about, as you said, being surrounded by fear with these children, and I've been into a number of complex needs schools. I've seen the walking frames. I've seen the bed hoists, and. It's a world I don't really know. So they're the first for the first thing I am is cautious, which is again is is starting to put the barriers up for me, mm-hmm. connecting someone. Because yep. rather than just walk in and seeing this person as a person, I'm gonna walk in and kind of be afraid that I'm gonna get something wrong and what I can I do, what level they understand, and things like that. So I'm I'm immediately just putting up lots of barriers between me and that person. And I've got to stop doing that in reality. I've got to understand them, but not put the barriers up. Well, I think, you know, I think it's kind of interesting because I think if we see them as people before we see their disability, then you can, you know, it, it's how you view them. Yes. You know, if you see their disability before you see them as a person, you've got it, kind of got it the wrong way around. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what you, often when you see them with a walking frame, you see them, you see the disability first. Yeah. You've got to ignore that at that moment and greet the person as a person. 
and then find out how they're impacted and things like that, rather than just be very cautious because you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, if we look at them, you know, think if we look at them as differently abled rather than disabled, it helps. You know, we're all differently abled, right? You know, and we know that they have physical limitations, but we've all got physical limitations at some level. Yeah. Mine are different to yours, you know, or mine are different to that child. You know, absolutely. Well, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, obviously my, my body, you know, works in a different way to a child with PMLD. But they're still a human being. They've still got, you know, yeah. the basic core, you know, needs as a human being that I have, that you have, that everybody else has. I still have emotions. I still have experiences. I still have, you know, I still am going to pick up what's around me. Yeah. And it is, I suppose, and again, another thing is often, especially PMLD, is you might meet the person, but you're often not meet, you might not really be meeting the person you're meeting the person with them and asking about the PMLD child. You're not really engaging with the person because you don't know how. Yep. And, rem- and remember that when you ask somebody else about somebody, you'll see, you, the answer you will get with, is through their lens. Yes. Rather than through yours. And I've seen lots of things about on social media about nonverbal people having their own voice and it's often different to that person who is looking after them. And so it should be. (laughs) Um, And again, so it's all those sorts of things, but it is, yeah, we've got to realize they are people. They have, they can have opinions. They can have all of the same as you and me. And at some level, at some level of, of they understand everything. At some level, they understand everything. Their higher self or, you know, an aspect of their being will understand everything and more, you know, and we underestimate them. Yes. I find it my, my um, brother-in-law had a really bad stroke a number of years ago now, and it's still impacting his body. He won't get his function, his left side back really, mm-hmm. but his right side's functioning. And there are just so many amazing things with him, how it is. Some ways it's changed him. Of course it would do. He's much more making sure things happen. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how it's impacted his speech. If you say a number, he doesn't understand it. If you write it down, he completely understands it. So there's so many random things happen. But it, he is still completely my brother-in-law, and he still has his sense of humor. He still has things, nice things that he hides from his wife very entertaining and that's the thing it's really helped me see that although his his vocabulary is very limited he's often writing or drawing pictures to help us understand what he wants or what he's asking about the essence of him hasn't changed yeah and the essence of him hasn't he is changed. a person no and whereas i think much younger me would have not known what to do mm-hmm. Much younger me would have been a little bit scared. Is generally what it comes down to. But yeah, so he he he's he's taught me a lot about lots of little things, and also the fact, which I love, it never he never lets it stop him. He goes swimming every day, and I go sort of gangs. I'm head gang. How do you get changed? How do you? How do? In my head, I just literally it was almost like, well, I wouldn't be able to do that. But he gets on with it. And that's the thing at various levels, 
they have all these barriers. Can we remove some? Can we do? But they're, they're they're people. They are people. Absolutely, and they're amazing um, people as well. They are. They have probably amazing observation skills because they're seeing things, and that's and it's how it's how can they communicate? And it's interesting with yoga. A lot of stuff we've talked about over our podcasts is there's a lot of overlap with around that self regulation. Um, with other areas, but again, as we, yoga isn't about being flexible in terms of you have to fit into that pretzel position or anything like that. It's as you said, it's it's oh, there's a, so much more um, around it, and it's about the connection with yourself and that connection with the other other people, and how it can be done in lots of different ways, and then the energy I suppose you get from those connections really feeds you i'm gonna say spiritually but it is it is your soul it is if you're making that connection if you literally have responded you someone's asked you a question you've been able to respond or you've been able to join in with something going on around you that's huge for everyone and that would have a huge impact right it does and it's actually really beautiful to watch as well you know as as, as you yeah. kind of start to 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 kind of see them you know, when they first kind of meet, you know, when you meet them and all of a sudden they, there's this kind of sense that they're being met and you, and it is, it is, there is something spiritual that happens actually. Yeah. You know, without taking, making yoga a spiritual practice because it, it isn't, it isn't, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not about the spiritual practice. It's about. It's hard. You don't want to use the word spiritual because it has certain. Connotations that would mean people, some connotations. people won't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But. What I mean by spirit, because I'm 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 not a hugely religious or that is is your spirit of you, who you are, lifting yourself up. So it's more the soul type thing rather than a, a light shining down from somewhere else type spiritual Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And you, when you see these children light up from inside, it's yeah, it's so it's it's like magic, you know. And then you feel like you're lighting up from inside because they're shining their light on you, you know. And that's the thing is, it is from inside. It is a very much that person, how they're responding, how that person impacts you, and how how you, I'm going to say feed off it. But again, if you're watching something beautiful happening, you feed off that and it makes you, you respond to that. Totally. You know, so you, you have this whole, you know, piece of communication that's on that level as well. Yes. Phenomenal. That's the thing is, Probably so many of us who don't work with PML, who don't know a complex child with, we don't understand. And you, no, and you know, and I think also, you know, if you think about it, you know, if you if you observe a child with PMLD being wheeled down the street, people will cross the road to avoid it. And there are various programs I've watched where. There are complex. The parents will tell you all these amazing things about this child, or they like this, they don't like this. These are just very much parents who are in tune to their child. They found their way. Their child communicates. Yeah. And again, younger me, I kind of think I dismissed it. Of oh, they're just looking for things, but no. As you think about it, there are people in there, and if you, they are a person, and they do. We all have preferences. At any level, a child has a preference to be fed rather than not fed. Basic need type preference. But there's a need becomes preference. 
they will have these and they will find a way to communicate. Absolutely. And if you respond to that communication, they will, I suppose, perfect that communication. Mm -hmm. They will fine tune it. They will improve that communication and they will be able to communicate their preferences. It's just not the way everyone else does. Absolutely. But it is there and they can do it and they can have lots of fun in their own way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can have a lot of fun with them. Yes. That's the thing is, you always have those videos of a child laughing and it just makes you smile. And it is generally with young children, it's the simple things and this complex child with complex needs could just be in a sensory room and you can see how they're responding and you know them. And you can see that enjoyment. They don't want to be jumping around like a able, but they're doing that in their own way. Joy comes from inside, doesn't it? Even if the outward expression is jumping or not. It's still there. Cool. Lovely. Anything else around the PMLD and yoga? Any kind of, if people are still on the fence? Well, you know, I think if you, if you looked at, you know, their physical well-being, you're ticking that box because you're helping them to breathe better. You're helping them to undo some of the physical tension. And as I said, you know, you, you know, there are, we've seen things like aspirators being used less. We've seen epilepsy reduced. And I'm not saying that's 100% across the board, but for some kids, it will have that kind of an impact. You know, we've seen children start to come alive and reconnect with their bodies. How beautiful is that? We've seen them connect with others. How beautiful is that? You know, we've seen some of the, you know, pressure points through the body that have been used in ancient medicine practices that will help reduce spasticity. And just allow you know the limbs to be elongated a little bit more, and just to open some you know reduce some of that tension. We've seen a lot of spasmodic movement reduce. I mean, I can't see why you would not try. <laughs> no, and then as you said, you, that's the sensory and the physical side, but you then got all that social and emotional from those connections with others. So there's lots and lots of benefits. Totally, and also you know these children you know deserve to be made comfortable as as comfortable yeah. as possible. You know, why not? You know, they deserve to be met properly. That You know, all of the things that we would do, you know, to, to a neurotypical child, you know, we, I mean, I'm not saying you're going to take them on, you know, do sort, you know, certain things with them. But, you know, at the same time, as a human being to another human being, they're just another human being. Yeah. And, and for me, I have not met one that isn't just the most beautiful, beautiful soul. Lovely. So, you get, yeah, give it a go. Give it a, properly. Open-minded, give it a go and see where it takes you and that person. I mean, certainly with the feedback that we get in the classrooms where we've trained people to deliver, you know, to use yoga in the classrooms, the effects are phenomenal. And also the staff around them reduce their fear. So these kids are less surrounded by fear and they're surrounded by more joy. I mean, isn't that what you want for everybody? It is, definitely. No no one wants to be around that much fear. And it might be heartfelt fear and it might be genuine, you know, genuine concern. So I really don't want to hurt you, you know, that kind of, but actually it's still fear. Yeah, it is. It is still fear. Fear, the right reasons. Um, but often that fear comes from lack of understanding. Yeah. And also, you know. Of where, and that perspective. Yeah, and we can be careful and not afraid. Yeah. 
So thank you for coming on the show today, Jyoti. Thank you very much for inviting me. I love this subject. So. <laughs> Uh, thank you for giving me a space to kind of be enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. it it's, it's literally, I, I sit here going, oh, that's going to be an interesting topic. I don't know. And that's the thing, I like going to podcasts where I don't fully know where we're going to go with the conversation or what it's going to make me think of. And it often makes me reflect on things I've done or I've experienced or just think about things. And it's re- I find it really fascinating. I do. I love it. I love doing these podcasts. Very lucky person. <laughs> so I'll be sharing Jyoti's contact details in our show notes. You'll find those on the website wherever you listened to this podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Generally, you can click on the subscribe button. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, any of those, even through Alexa's and Amazon Music and Audible you can go listen to this podcast, subscribe and listen to all our amazing speakers. And let's just talk about B Squared. We are here to help you show progress. If your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, it's paper-based, you want to save time and make it much easier to show progress, have a look at the B Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a huge range of assessment products to help show small sets of progress, people with SCND, We have a huge range in terms of age and ability, so going right down to the engagement model, but we also have lots of content for schools in Scotland and Wales. And also, if you go have a look at our website, you'll find our online training, our online conferences. We've got a blog. I do loads of webinars. It is all on our website. You'll find a link to the website to book a meeting with me and also my email address in the show notes, so please go and have a look and have a click and let me know your thoughts or ask questions or anything else like that. So thank you for listening. We're going to be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye everyone. Bye.